to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each week, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. This week, a spider's mind isn't limited to its brain. There's evidence it does some cognitive tasks with its web. When you think of a spider web, you might think of a round web, like the kind you see in Charlotte's web. Bugs fly into the web and get stuck. The spider is able to feed. But millions of years ago, a few spiders started to focus on a different strategy. Instead of waiting for their prey to get caught in their webs, they began building horizontal nets to use as a fishing platform. Now those spiders' modern descendants, the cobweb spiders, dangle sticky threads below, wait until insects walk by and get snagged, and reel in their unlucky victims. Yutan Japiasu is a biologist at the Federal University of Bahia in Brazil. In 2008, he prompted 12 species of orb spiders collected from all over Brazil to reenact this transition from web to line. He waited until the spiders wove an ordinary web. Then he snipped its threads so that the silk drooped down to where there were crickets wandering below. When the dangling line hooked a cricket, not all of the orb spiders could fully pull it up like a cobweb spider does. But some could, and all of them at least began to reel it in with their two front legs. Their ability to recreate the ancient spider's innovation got Japyasu thinking. How did a spider figure out a solution when it was confronted with a problem it might not have seen before? And where is that information? Is it in the spider's head? Or does it emerge when the spider interacts with the web? In February of this year, Japyasu and Kevin Leyland, an evolutionary biologist at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, proposed a bold answer to the question. They argued in the journal Animal Cognition that a spider's web is at least an adjustable part of its sensory apparatus, and at most, it's an extension of the spider's cognitive system. This would make the web a model example of extended cognition. This idea was first proposed in relation to human thought by philosophers Andy Clark and David Chalmers in 1998. Think of processes like checking a grocery list or rearranging Scrabble tiles in a tray. Extended cognition champions argue these actions are close enough to memory retrieval or problem-solving tasks that happen entirely inside the brain that they're actually part of a single, larger, extended mind. That idea has racked up citations among philosophers of the mind, including supporters and critics. Japyasu's paper aims to export extended cognition as a testable idea to the field of animal behavior. It's not catching everyone in its web. Collective behavior scientist Alex Jordan of the Max Planck Institute in Constance, Germany, says he gets the impression that the paper tried to check off all the boxes for hot and controversial topics in animal cognition. Still, he says he supports the idea. Mixed reactions aside, Japyasu and Leyland propose ways to test their ideas concretely by manipulating the spider's web, tests that other researchers are excited about. The idea that some of a spider's thoughts happen in its web fits into a small but growing trend in the studies of animal cognition. Many animals interact with the world in complicated ways that don't rely on their brains. In some cases, they don't even use neurons. 
Ken Chang studies animal behavior and information processing at Macquarie University in Australia. He says we have a romantic notion that big brains are good, but most animals don't work that way. Researchers have been gathering examples from elsewhere in the animal kingdom that seem to show a phenomenon related to extended cognition. This concept, called embodied cognition, suggests cognitive tasks can extend from the brain into the body. The prime example of extended cognition isn't a spider, but it also has eight legs. Octopuses are famously smart, but their central brain is only a small part of their nervous system. Two-thirds of an octopus's 500 million neurons are in its arms. Imagine being an octopus with multiple arms that can bend at any point, each with thousands of suckers. Just figuring out how to move seems like it would be a computational nightmare. But experiments show that the octopus brain doesn't have to know how to move each floppy arm, animal behavior expert Ken Chang says. Rather, the arm knows how to move the arm. Electric signals show that when a sucker finds a piece of food, it sends a wave of muscle activation up the arm. At the same time, the base of the arm sends another wave of clenched muscles down the arm. Where the two signals meet, the arm makes an elbow, a joint in exactly the right place to reach the mouth. Many animals rely on a related strategy in that their sensory systems are tuned in to the parts of the world that are relevant to their lives. Bees, for example, use ultraviolet vision to find flowers that have also evolved ultraviolet markings. Restricting themselves to that piece of the spectrum frees the bees from the need to take in lots of visual data and figure it out later. William Weislow, a behaviorist at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute in Panama, says if you don't have those receptors, that part of the world simply doesn't exist. And then some animals seem to offload part of their mental machinery to structures outside of the neural system entirely. Female crickets orient themselves toward the calls of the loudest males. They pick up the sound using ears on each of the knees of their two front legs. These ears connect to one another through a tracheal tube. Sound waves enter both ears and then pass through the tube before interfering with one another in each ear. The system is set up so that the ear closest to the source of the sound will vibrate most strongly. Once these structures have finished processing the information, it gets passed to the neural system, which tells the legs to turn the cricket in the right direction. Extended cognition may partly be an evolutionary response to an outsized challenge. In 1976, Swiss naturalist Albrecht von Haller observed that smaller creatures almost always devote a larger portion of their body weight to their brains. Haller's rule holds across the animal kingdom, from whales to mice and from salamanders to ants and bees. Scientists like William Weislow and his colleague William Eberhardt think new evolutionary tricks should arise in tiny creatures like insects, where brains demand proportionately more and more resources. In 2007, Eberhardt compared data on the webs built by infant and adult spiders of the same species. The newborns should be under much more pressure from Holler's rule, since they're about a thousand times smaller than the adults in some cases. Their brains are smaller, so they might be expected to slip up while performing a complex task. 
Perhaps the spiderlings would make more mistakes in attaching threads at the correct angles to build a geometrically precise web. But Eberhardt says their webs seemed as precise as those of their larger relatives. He says one question is, how do they get away with that? Japyasu's work offers a possible solution. Just as octopuses appear to outsource information processing tasks to their tentacles, perhaps spiders outsource information processing to objects outside of their bodies, their webs. To test whether this is truly happening, Japyasu uses a framework suggested by the cognitive scientist David Kaplan. If the spider and web are working together as a larger cognitive system, the two should be able to affect each other. Changes in the spider's cognitive state will alter the web, and changes in the web will ripple into the spider's cognitive state. Picture a spider waiting at the center of its web. Many web builders are nearly blind. They interact with the world almost solely through vibrations. Sitting at the hub of their webs, spiders can pull on radial threads that lead to various outer sections. This way, they can adjust how sensitive they are to prey that land in those particular areas. As with a tin can telephone, a tighter string is better at passing along vibrations. So tensed regions may indicate where the spider is paying attention. A 2010 study found that when insects land in tensed areas of webs made by one species of orb spider, the spider is more likely to notice and capture them. When the experimenters in the same study tightened the threads artificially, it seemed to put the spiders on high alert. They rushed toward the prey more quickly. The same sort of effect works in the opposite direction, too. When another species of orb spider gets hungry, it tightens its radial threads so it can tune in to even the smallest prey hitting the web. The spider tenses the threads of the web so that it can filter information coming into its brain, Japyasu says. It's almost the same thing as if she was filtering things in her own brain, but the filter's outside. Another example of this sort of interplay between web and spider comes from the web building process itself. According to decades of research, a spider web is easier to build than it looks. What seems like a cumbersome process involving thousands of steps actually requires only a short list of rules that spiders follow at each junction. But these rules can be hacked. When experimenters start cutting out pieces of a web as it's being built, a spider makes different choices. Japyasu says it's as if the already built portions of silk are reminders, chunks of external memory the spider needs to consult while it's working so it can keep things evenly spaced. What happens in a web once it's built can also change the kind of web the spider builds next time. If one section of the web catches more prey, the spider may enlarge that part in the future. And the state of a spider's nervous system can also affect its webs. Going back to the 1940s, researchers have exposed spiders to caffeine, amphetamines, LSD, and other drugs. Unsurprisingly, these spiders made addled irregular webs. Even skeptics of extended cognition agree this back and forth between the web and spider is fertile ground for more investigation on how to interpret what spiders do to solve problems. Yet leaving aside the mystery of what cognition actually is, proving that spiders outsource problem solving to their webs is an empirical challenge. You would need to show that the analytical power of the web saves the spider calories it would have otherwise spent on the nervous tissue in a bigger brain, Eberhardt says. 
That would require measuring how much energy it takes to build and use a web, compared to the cost of performing the same operations with brain tissue. While Japyasu, Chang, and others continue to look for examples of extended cognition, critics say the only really strong case is the one with a web of metaphysical baggage, us. This episode was produced by Jeanette Kazmerzak. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Joshua Sokol's full article, The Thoughts of a Spiderweb, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Thank <laughs> you.